Well, what a joy to get to be with you again. We were not sure that we'd even escape the Philippines because of the lockdown of the pandemic, and then we weren't sure we were going to get here, but we are so glad to be able to fellowship with you and uh, trust to bring the good word of God. Now, if you'd like, if you have a Bible and would like to read along with me, uh, just like to read uh, most of Haggai chapter 2 as you're celebrating the dedication of your new church location. I'm reminded of the rebuilding and dedication of the temple in Jerusalem as Haggai was a part of that event. And let's start reading it from verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Verse 4, Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. And while the rebuilt temple that they were dedicating so many centuries ago, 2,500 years ago, seemed uh, like it was insignificant compared with the glorious temple that Solomon had made centuries before, yet the Lord was with them. The Lord was encouraging them to be strong, to work, to serve the Lord, to accomplish his purposes. Because then we read in verse 5 through the first part of verse 7 what the Lord was going to do. The first verses he said what we're supposed to do then he talked about what he was going to do. In verse 6, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. And verse 9, God's promise, The glory of this latter house, or this present temple, shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. And so, as we consider the promises God gave for the rebuilding of his house back then, there are the same promises from the same God today and for you all. God's Spirit is among you as we've worshipped and enjoyed a sense of the revelation of God's presence as God wants to give you peace, security, and safety here. Yet, then he talked about what he was going to do to really mix things up, to really change things around from verse 6 and 7, that he was going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and shake all nations and accomplish much greater purposes to come. And so this morning we want to look at uh, the topic of the purpose of shakings. 
from the Bible and see how that was not just relevant back in Haggai's day and the rebuilding of that house of God, but how it is so applicable and relevant for today. So we have that prophecy in Haggai, but it's also repeated for us in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 as a New Testament event, as a prophecy of what will happen in the last days, as we'll look at more clearly as the message goes on. But I think most of us here have been around long enough to know that COVID is not the first shaking, not the first trouble that has hit this world in modern history. I was old enough to remember the days when the communist nations of Eastern Europe, their governments fell, the Berlin Wall fell. There was a shaking that transformed Eastern Europe back in the late 1980s. And then after that, in 1997, when my family was living in Asia, there was what was called the Asian uh, currency uh, financial crisis, which probably didn't mean too much to you over here, but it meant a lot to us back over there when currencies were massively devalued, where there were riots, uh, uh, violent riots and uh, bank collapses, a shaking for Asia. So there was a shaking 40-some years ago for Eastern Europe. There was a shaking in Asia with the financial collapse. Then in the year 2011, in the beginning of January, the Lord spoke to me and said, I am going to begin to shake the Islamic nations of the world to prove to the world that Islam does not have the answers for the world's problems. Over 21 Islamic nations were shaken by riots, by government overthrow, by massive protests. Oh, we better get on to the Arab Spring, as it came to be known. And then after that, was that the last shaking we've experienced? No, we're in the middle of one right now, <laughs> right? The COVID crisis that you have, you're largely escaping here in Florida, but that's not the case in most of the world. And even after everybody is vaccinated and we reach herd immunity or whatever will be the end result, if there aren't too many variants, even after that's conquered, I think we're going to see massive financial crises around the world. Because while massive borrowing has postponed the problems that this pandemic has caused, it hasn't fixed them. It's only postponed the financial crises that are going to reverberate through the world in the next few years. So we've had all of these shakings, and one hit Eastern Europe, another one hit Asia, another one uh, hit the Islamic nations, but the most recent one hasn't just hit an area of the world. The most recent one has been worldwide. And the shakings will continue, and they will grow stronger. Our Lord Jesus said, in Matthew 24, about the signs of the times before his second coming, there would be rumors of wars, famines, plagues. There have been famines and plagues in recent years. And uh, even plagues of locusts that have decimated several African nations in the last year. But Christ warned about earthquakes, which are increasing in the world. According to scientific studies, the last century, they're growing and increasing like the pains of a woman in childbirth. And that's what Jesus said 
because he said in the midst of all of these troubles of the last days, we are not to be troubled for these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. This is only the beginning of the birth pains. So we shouldn't be overly shaken or troubled by these things. God has already warned us in advance that he knows everything. He has it under control. That yes, mankind is suffering more and more as, as the result of our own sins and corruption. But God is going to use what we reap from a bad harvest and from these shakings and troubles around the world. He's going to, through it, purify a repentant people. God will work good out of man's evil and sufferings. And if we belong to Christ, we can trust him and not be afraid of these shakings. Don't be troubled. It's only the beginning of the ride. Okay. And in the birth pangs of a woman, it starts out mild and gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and the screams get louder until the baby comes. Okay. I'd like to know when the baby is going to arrive. Okay. And we will see a new world cleansed from its former corruption. So last year, at the start of the year, my wife was praying, seeking a word from the Lord for the year, and the Lord spoke to her, it will be a year of acceleration, and said that in this year, we would start to see the signs of the last days coming in an accelerated way. Now, at the beginning of the year, life seemed pretty normal, Four months later, nothing was normal. And we have seen things transition in the world, accelerating as never believed before. It's a great shaking, not just of a continent, not just of an area of the world. It's the whole world. The whole world is groaning and travailing and shaking and waiting for its future redemption and for the people of God to rise up when our king returns. But while these shakings are growing and they're all around us and they'll get more plentiful and harder, yet we better know what are the purpose for these things. We want to hold on in the days of trouble. And so let us look at four purposes very quickly for what God wants to accomplish through these shakings. Number one, he wants to wake us up. My wife has to shake me quite a bit to wake me up in the morning. Okay, she will wake up at the drop of a pin. Okay, and yet it takes me quite a bit. My wife will wake up in the middle of the night and say, did you feel that earthquake? And I'd be, I wouldn't even hear her, okay, <laughs> let alone the earthquake. And we'd find out in the newspaper later it was a three, it was a four, I think it would take a six or a seven on the Richter scale to wake me up, okay? Some people are, get awake quicker, some are slower, but what will it take us to spiritually wake up in the shakings of the last days? We are to awake to righteousness, 1 Corinthians 15, 34 tells us. Isaiah 52, verse 1, awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. In Romans 13, 11 and 12, it is high time to awake out of sleep, for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. 
The night is far spent. The day is coming. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, we all got shaken in 9-11 when that tragedy hit the nation. And for weeks, the churches were full of people praying and coming to worship the Lord and honor the Lord. The nation woke up when that happened. But when things stayed pretty comfortable, no more attacks on our soil, and the economy uh, did fine. It was just a little bump on the road. And so what happened? Well, uh, everybody fell asleep again, right? The nation went back to its old ways. It's old, well, God's there somewhere, uh, you know, catch you later kind of uh, kind of an attitude towards God. But what will it take for the church of Jesus to fully wake up and stay awake? Okay, we don't want to wait till it's seven or eight on the Richter scale. But when God starts to shake, let us respond quickly. Another thing that God wants to do is he wants to remove our trust in worldly things. When this prophecy was repeated and uh, amplified in Hebrews chapter 12, we can read there from verse 26 to 28. Now God has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken will remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And so God wants, through the shakings, to purify us and remove our trust in worldly things. In these last days, he's going to shake the heavens and the earth. He's going to shake all the nations He's going to shake all of our lives. The best times of peace and prosperity will end. The best of natural health will fail at times. The best of human governments will not have the solution. When the Lord spoke to me in 2011 that he was going to shake the Islamic nations and prove to the world that Islam does not have the answers for the world, well, that, I thought that was significant, but it didn't touch me like what he said right after that. He said, and after I have shaken the Islamic nations of the world, I will shake the democracies of the world and prove to the world that democracy does not have the answers for the problems of the world. Now, we thank God if we can live in a reasonably good democracy, but democracy cannot work without a foundation of righteousness, without godliness. Democracy is not the answer, although God can use it. But as God has been shaking the democracies of the world, Brexit, Israel going through multiplied elections and not being able to turn stable with their democracy, with uh, you know, with the civil war, spiritually speaking, in America. Uh, uh, governmentally or, or politically speaking. God has been shaking to show that these are not our answers. 
the things of this world will not be able to stabilize and give us lives, families, churches, nations of peace. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, Isaiah was a priest ministering in the temple, and he wrote, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, Uzziah had been one of the greatest kings of Judah. The nation was prosperous under his reign, strong. Uh, he invented new uh, weapons of war and was a powerful king. And there was peace and prosperity in the land. During his reign, the people could rely on their king, depend on their good economy, trust in their natural strength until that good king died. And what happens if we depend on strong leaders or a good economy or a comfortable life? That is all temporary. It's all going to pass away. And we need to be trusting in the unshakable kingdom of Jesus Christ and trusting in the one who eternally will do what is best for our lives. In the year when the King Uzziah's fall, when our earthly hopes of stability economically or politically or, or health-wise, whatever, when in the day when those things fall, let us have a, a clearly fixed eye on the Lord and say, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the true Savior of the people. I saw our true answer and hope and deliverer. I saw the Lord. May we be able to say that in these days right now. Now, another way to see this is when we consider the tribulations of a young baby when it's finally the glorious weaning day and he no longer can get that abundant supply of love and milk. And what happens when the mom doesn't let him around anymore? <laughs> Civil war. <laughs> it's the end of the world. <laughs> Mother does not love me anymore. And where is the comfort in all that supply of food? It's, it's the end of the world for the child when he's weaned. Is it because he's unloved? No, his mother loves him. Is it because his mother is cruel and just trying to bring trouble into his life? No, his mother is preparing him to grow up. And in the troubles of these last days, it's time to grow up. Whatever our mama might be, let's grow up and see that we need to look to Christ and his unshakable kingdom. Now, a third purpose that God has for the shakings of these last days is to set the prisoners free and bring salvation. We know the story, I think all of us here in Acts 16, when Paul and Silas were thrown into prison for preaching the gospel and while they were worshiping the Lord in the middle of the night, an earthquake shook the prison and all of their chains fell off. The doors went open. They were free. They could escape. And when the prison keeper found it, he knew that if anybody escaped, he would have uh, uh, been shamed for his duty. He, the laws back then are, you let a prisoner free, your life in exchange. And the prison keeper would die. So he was ready to commit suicide when Paul called out, don't worry, we're all still here. And he came in fear and trembling and knelt down before Paul and Silas and said, what must I do to be saved? When the shakings come, 
It will bring the prisoners free. It will bring salvation to the lost. And we are going through salvations, or shakings, excuse me, that will get stronger and stronger. And it won't be physical chains that fall off of us. God's purpose is that spiritual chains, bondages and sins will fall off of us because as the shakings get harder, we get more serious with God and we don't permit our past limitations to hinder us because our past comfortable lives of maybe a little lazy, maybe a little lack of prayer, maybe uh, just a little bit too uh, comfortable, that will not survive in the last days. We won't be able to make it through great difficulties if we stay the same. We need to rise to the occasion. And when we rise to the occasion, we will see our chains fall off. People are enslaved to sin, can't stop lying, addicted to pornography. They're, they steal, and they don't know how to uh, get break fr free from these things. And they might be involved in it for years. But if we get serious with God, there is no chain that can hold the consecrated Christian. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. If we've got these problems in our life, to some extent, we are allowing them. We are allowing sin and the devil to have a little bit of a room in our life. A lot of people like, you know, the best of the church and a little bit of sin also. But in these last days of shaking, we're going to have to choose who we will serve. May we wholeheartedly, 100% choose we will follow God and we will not permit these, these sins, these chains that would drag us down to stay so that we will be free to fight the good fight of faith and run with perseverance. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. We're told in Isaiah 52, shake off the dust, rise up, loose yourself from the chains on your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. It doesn't say wait for God to do it. It says the people of God are to do that. And if we cry out for God's grace, there is nothing that can hinder the fully consecrated Christian. So let's press in in God and see those breakthroughs. Now, not only will Christians be set free to become overcomers, but also there are the unbelievers that are going to turn to God in an increasing tsunami of salvation. Because when the jailkeeper came in that shaking and saw his life was toast. He, was, he would be killed if any of the prisoners escaped. And he saw the end of his life crumble before him. He turned to God and found salvation. And when people can no longer handle their problems, they can no longer handle their budget, they can no longer handle the family difficulties or the turmoil in society, then it's time they will be turning to God. And you look at some of the most difficult countries of the world and you see that they are the ones that the church is growing in the fastest. China, for many decades, was the fastest growing church in the world when they were under severe persecution. 
and tens of millions of people turning to Christ, about uh, one million every 40 days. But about five or seven years ago, uh, prosperity was coming to the nation, things were looking better, and people were no longer pressing in, in prayer meetings. Uh, they were pulling out their cell phones and, you know, watching the latest Hollywood junk or, you know, the latest uh, music that was polluted and uh, wondering if they had the right brand of, of shoes or, you know, uh, and they were totally distracted from following God. And so some of the Christian leaders said, oh, under persecution, we grew so well, and now under prosperity, the churches are growing lukewarm. Oh, if we could only have persecution again. Would you pray that for the U.S.? <laughs> and guess what? They're having more persecution. Thousands of churches have been demolished. People are getting persecuted in a new way, and the church is getting on fire again. That's happening in nation after nation. The worst nations are having the greatest revivals. Iran, with their crazy Ayatollah, if you know anything about Iran. You know, the government is crazy. And the people revolt, and the government just shoots them down by the hundreds to stop peaceful protest. But in the middle of that, hundreds of thousands are turning to Christ. They hate the hypocrisy of their religion, but they have found that there is a religion that doesn't preach hate. There's a religion that preaches God is love. There is a religion that doesn't teach them they should put dynamite suicide belts on and blow themselves up for Allah. They are taught that there is a God of love that they are to live for, not to die for. And so in these last days, as shakings increase, it's going to be to cause the multitudes to turn to Christ, that God will fill his house with glory in these last days. And that's the last purpose we want to look at this morning, that when he shakes all the nations, he will fill his house, his church, his people with glory. In Isaiah 4, we can read, When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create on every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud by day and a flaming fire by night. For over all, the glory will be a covering. When God washes away the filth of his people, he is going to, by the spirit of judgment, cleanse and purify our hearts deeply through these troubles as we cry out to God, as we ask the Lord for his purposes to be fulfilled in our lives, and the glory of the Lord shall rise. Though darkness cover the earth and deep darkness the people, Isaiah 60, yet on you the glory of the Lord shall arise, and nations will come to the brightness of their rising. Now you might say, oh, we're such a little church here, but you don't see your whole church here on Sunday morning because your church helps support missionaries around the world. You are the foundation here of Zion Christian University. We have a branch of that that my wife directs in Asia, and she has about 40 or 50 students from Myanmar, Vietnam, uh, maybe about seven or eight, nine nations. Any guess? Never counted. Okay. She's got lots of students from around the world. 
The Humphreys have lots of students from around the world being trained and growing in God and becoming leaders for the churches in their nations. And all of the fruit of what you build here as a stronghold, as a fortress, as a foundation, is not only going to affect your own local community much more in the days to come, but you're already spreading your influence through the nations. So keep up the good work and keep, keep the pastors rolling, okay? Because they're doing a lot more than just what you see here. They are doing a work that is spreading through the world, through Zion Christian University. So we want to prepare that the glory of the Lord shall arise through the nations and the nations will come to the brightness of what God is doing through the assemblies of Zion, as it was spoken of in Isaiah chapter 4. Now, through all of these things, we want to understand that while multitudes will turn to Christ and find eternal life, and God will fill his house with glory, that God is preparing us through the shakings to seek the Lord in a deeper way, have repentance in a deeper way, find restoration and righteousness in a new way, and find revival. As you sing about revival, as we look for revival, it's not an empty phrase. A few people on revival can make such a difference. John Wesley once said, as he was starting what became the Methodist movement that has raised up hundreds of thousands of churches around the world, he once said, give me 12 people that love God with all their hearts and hate sin with all their hearts, and we will change the world. Well, he did change the world. Through the Methodist revival, England, corrupt, the corrupt nation of its day, was spared from revolution like the French had about the same time. They spread a mighty move of God into the America, into North America. They say that there are more Methodist churches in uh, North America today than there are post offices. Okay? And there's post offices everywhere. Well, praise God. That's just one move of God that created good fruit that while a lot of them have cooled off, there are still some on fire, and, and there's still many preaching the gospel. There's still good fruit that remains from that revival of over 300 years ago. But we want revival today. We want the Lord to so humble us and cause us to hunger and thirst after him that he will fill us with his spirit and glory until there will be a manifestation that will spread out from the Christian circles and shall impact the community and shall, through whether it's missions or prayer or Zion Christian University, that there will be an impact that will reach through the nations. And so there will be the glory of God in the temple, but we also know that we are the temple of God, as Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 3. And that we are to personally have the glory of God arising in each of our lives. 
Colossians 1.27 tells us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But that hope is future tense. It's something that is coming. It's something we can qualify for if we press in, if we get ready. It's our hope, the hope of the Christian. But while it's a hope, the day will come for those who have prepared that it shall be manifested. It can be manifested in this life. Smith Wigglesworth, a man filled with the Holy Ghost and power in his day back in England, he sometimes would even just walk on a train and he'd just be in the train, quiet, just loving God in his heart. And someone would stand up before him and say, uh, Sir, you convict me of sin. And he would leave and go to a different, uh, a different place in the train. He wasn't doing anything except standing there and in his art loving God. And yet it brought conviction. There was the time when Charles Finney was preaching in central New York. And his brother-in-law invited him to go visit his, the factory he was a supervisor of. So the next day he went with his brother-in-law to this factory. And as he went, he saw that uh, in the, one of the rooms there where they were putting the cotton on the spinning looms, that some of the women saw him come and knew he was the evangelist, the new evangelist that came to town. And they were looking nervous as they were trying to do their... And, and he saw that, that the conviction of God was there from those that had attended his evening revival. And so as he walked with his brother-in-law through, he saw those, that, a group of ladies that seemed the most nervous. As he walked by, he looked at them right in the eye. And right when he did, they started crying. And, they, and their machines got all messed up. And, and, the, and then everybody started crying in this room. And the owner of the company uh, said, came in when he heard all the noise. What's the problem here? And they told him. And he said, oh, well, shut the machines down. He wasn't a Christian. But he said, shut the machines down. It's better that we tend to our souls than make money. And they took the machines out of that room. They brought all several hundred employees in. Charles Finney preached the gospel and almost all of them got saved. That was a man that just with a holy look of his eyes started a revival. God wants to fill us with his anointing in ways beyond what we can imagine unless we see what he's done in the past. And I could tell you lots of stories. I'd love to, but I, we don't want to preach till the cows come home, okay? <laughs> so... We'll just give a, just a little glimpse of how God wants to fill us with his glory and what that glory will accomplish, not only in this life, but in eternity to come. There was a man named John Bunyan that uh, wrote a book uh, that was purported to be his, that as a young man, not knowing the things of God, he had an angel take him up to heaven. And there he talked with some of the saints in heaven. And he saw that they were all filled with the glory of God, but in different degrees. And so he went up to the one that shined the brightest with God's glory. And he said, oh, why are you more filled with the glory of God than these other uh, saints in heaven? And she, as she communicated to him, explained, well, here when everybody gets to heaven, they're all filled with the love and glory of God according to their capacity. Their cup will run over with joy. Everybody gets everything they can contain of God's love and God's glory. But some people on earth prepare their heart 
for less of God's love and God's glory. And they'll be filled full. And others prepare their hearts to be enlarged in their capacity to love God. And depending upon the largeness of their heart, God will fill them full and it will be a lot more and overflowing. And so God is just and equal, fills everybody, full and overflowing, but he is also a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, that he will abundantly give those whose hearts have become more prepared, as this lady in heaven said, through the pressures and sufferings on earth, as we let our hearts be enlarged by these things, as we go through the, the struggles and through the shakings and let God do a deeper and a deeper work in our hearts and through our lives. The Apostle Paul's life motivates us to press on in God. The Apostle Paul said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And that was a man writing that had just already written that he'd been uh, whipped 39 lashes five times, beaten with rods three times, stoned and left for dead, shipwrecked three times, uh, often in prison, always in danger. But he knew that through that all, God was preparing him for something so much greater that the present temporary little sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to come and is going to be eternal for all of the people of God. What's more, more important for our lives? A few years of comfort and peace and comfortable, uh, you know, life or pressing into God, getting serious with God in prayer and worship and, 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 and building up the churches and, and, and evangelism and seeking to win souls. What's more important for us? Just a temporary, happy, happy comfortable life or great glory and rewards? for all eternity, for millions of years to come. God is giving us opportunity to dig into God. How? Through the shakings, through the difficulties that are going to increase. The birth pangs are going to get faster and stronger until the baby is born, until God's purposes are fulfilled and Christ returns. And so, we don't want to go back or try to go back to the old patterns if, if COVID is no longer a, a major hindrance here in Florida. But no, God wants to bring something new in the churches, in our lives, a new dedication. Let us not be afraid of the shakings of the last days. Let us not be confused by conspiracy theories floating around that distract us from seeking and meeting the Lord. Let's not put our trust in political leaders or financial gurus that tell us everything's going to get good. We want to say in the year that King Uzziah died, in the year that the shakings became almost intolerable, in the year when all of the hopes crashed, I see the Lord. I see the Lord high and lifted up and his glory filling the church, his glory filling the people, and his glory reaching out to touch and transform the nations. 
For that is what we are looking for. And so this morning, we want to heed the message of Haggai. Yes, the shakings are coming. So let's be strong in work, for God is with you. Don't be afraid of the shakings. They're going to come, but there will be glorious results for the prepared people of God. So as you have a new sanctuary, let it also be a new dedication, not just of a building, but a new dedication of our lives that we want to be on fire for God. If you have a thousand little fireflies, you might be able to light up the path for a yard before you. If you have a thousand lukewarm Christians, somebody very close might see the light and love of God. But if you have one bright burning light, that can be seen from a great distance. It was said of John the Baptist. John was a bright and a burning lamp, and many rejoiced to see his day. But may it be said in our day, Pastor Daniel was a bright and burning light, and many rejoiced in his day. Many saw the bright light of the worship of God through Sister Sarah. Many saw the bright light of God through your lives and have come to rejoice in the salvation and goodness of God. So let us see this new place consecrated to God. Let us see our lives consecrated to God in a new and transforming way. God bless you.